0: today's episode of Women's Football Success. This is episode 1832, I believe. I'm so excited to be here. Shout out for women's football. We got a lot going on this week. I'm just going to share with you a couple of personal things and then get on to some women's football. So today I re- actually record the radio show usually on Monday or Tuesday. So today is the 19th of Monday and it goes out on Wednesday. Shout out to BJ Coletta for putting the, the radio show on her um, blog talk radio station. I'm really happy that they've uh, been willing to connect with us and, and share women's football. BJ has been in women's football or connected to women's football in some form or fashion for years, probably 15, 20 years, maybe. Uh, so shout out to BJ. BJ. Real quick, today I'm going to go over some numbers, and um, a lot of times I'll talk to people and I'll say it's all about the numbers, it's all about the numbers, so today I'm going to kind of explain what I mean by it's all about the numbers, but first I want to share with you, I'm going to go over to um, WFA information, and for any of those WFA um teams that are out there. I'm going to share some information about that. But real quick, I want to share with you again, this is episode 1832. My name is Lynn Marie Liberty Ellington, and I am co-owner of the Dallas Elite Women's Football Team. I am also um, one of the directors of team development for WFA, along with my husband. And then I also own other businesses and consult with other people about their businesses. So really quick, a disclaimer. I am an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of Arkansas, but none of the information that I provide here on the radio show or in my digital materials, my website or e-books or paper documents constitutes an attorney-client relationship. None of this information makes me your attorney. If you have any issues um, with your business or personal, then you need to talk to an attorney in your jurisdiction with experience in the area of your area of law you have problems with. So with that being said, um, I wanted to share with you guys um, with the WFA owners. um, I want to remind everybody that the player advisory council, um, the idea behind this is to create an environment where players are involved in more aspects of the WFA and they're able to communicate maybe from the players to the owners or to the WFA um, so if you have any players that in are interested in being part of the um, pack, is what we call it, the Players Advisory Council, then um, please go ahead and um, get those over to the WFA as soon as possible. I think the deadline is tomorrow. So um, I'm going to go here real quick and see if there's any more. Now, OK, so we're sitting at November 19th. You're going to be here on the 1st. Many teams are finishing up their tryouts. Now again, tryout, I've been pushing tryouts, tryouts, tryouts for weeks now. Um, now is when we, we need to start being serious. If you don't have the numbers that you think you should have, then you need to push for one to two more tryouts. In fact, um, the Dallas Elite, we are having a um, invitation only tryout. So we had a bunch of people um, connect with us and say that they want to try out, but couldn't make it to the last two tryouts. Um, so we are holding, we, we feel that we have enough in numbers, but we are looking for specific body types um, and we need more people in a certain area. So we are then calling on the players or potential players that are still interested in trying out in those areas. And those are the only ones that we're having the tryout for. So, um, If that is you, then you have been reached. Somebody has reached out to you from the Dallas elite and invited you to the final tryout, uh, for invitation only tryouts. With that being said, a lot of teams are still having tryouts and I can talk about those a little bit here. Let me push over there. Um, this is where I want to go. Now I stopped putting the tryouts on my list. So I have the ones that I saw over the last few weeks on here, but, um, I felt like everybody was kind of getting the point with um, holding tryouts, holding tryouts, and they were doing it. So I felt there's no need to keep, you know, on this like a broken record. I think that the teams have done an exceptional job uh, promoting and setting up tryouts for their teams. I'm just trying to find my last. Let's see. Those are October. I'm looking for my December tryouts because there's still a few teams that had things set up for December. So let me look really quick and see if I can find them. Got September, got October. Hold on just a second. There's about 3000 documents in here that I'm looking through. Okay. For some reason, I can never find the December ones. Just run through here. I know that the um, Black Widows are having a tryout. I know that Boston's having a tryout. I know that Washington's having a tryout and the Spartans are having a tryout. Just trying to get to the exacts here. Oh, here's some Decembers. Hold on. They're just listed incorrectly. Okay, so I yeah, Richmond Black Widows is having a tryout December 1st. You can find that on their team website. And then all the rest I stopped posting because everybody was getting the point. So that is pretty much, let me see this, ongoing tryouts, the Columbus Comets. Columbus Comets are ongoing Daytona wave runners, Pittsburgh passion and the Portland shockwave. And I know Portland shockwave have some coming up here in the beginning of December for sure. Real quick. I'm going to go on here and look at any WFA news. If anybody had, if anybody's interested in connecting with the WFA, it's WFA pro That's where you want to go. If you're interested in looking for anything that has to do with women's football. One of the places that I really like, uh, to tell people is um, if you are interested in connecting with a team and you're just not sure, then you're going to go to the team section, scroll on down to WFA teams, and you can do it by division or by team. If you're trying to find one in your area, you're going to want to do by state, by state. Okay. So real quick, I'm just going to browse the WFA uh, Facebook page. So that's Women's Football Alliance, women's apostrophe S. Um, Yes. So The Portland Shockwave have a tryout on the 1st of December and again on the 15th of December. And Maine, the Maine Mayhem, have had one just this weekend, so I'm curious to see how that went. If you guys are at all interested in women's football, now is the time. Um, One of my players announced that there's about seven weeks left until practices start beginning. One, two three, four, five, six. And they're absolutely right. Seven weeks to January and things are happening fast guys. I mean, I know it's been a a good off season, but it, it happened so fast. And I'll tell you from a women's football perspective as an owner or a staff member's perspective, there is not a lot of off time to get ready. And if you don't take the time to get ready for the women's football season now, you will not be ready because there's so much pre-work to be done that it's impossible to start on it in, in February and March. Okay. Last year was a great example for us. Um, We came on to the Dallas elite this February 6th and um, we just had to make certain things happen um, as fast as possible. We didn't have a lot of planning time. So we, um, focused on the things that we needed to make happen and and could keep the team going, and we were very successful at that. I'm very proud of the 2018 Dallas Elite Women's Football Team uh, because they uh, stuck with it um, through all the trials and tribulations of um, the team splitting and going to the IWFL and then on to the WNFC. Um, so, with that being said. I always talk about the numbers when I talk to people. It's it's all in the numbers. It's in the numbers. Look at the numbers. So I believe women's football is all in the numbers, as as most businesses are. Uh, To those of you that are new to women's football, uh, first of all, I want to welcome you to an innovative sports industry. It's unlike any other. It's not like women's basketball or women's soccer or women's MMA. Those industries um, were kind of taken under the wing of somebody that um, could focus financially and on a large scale to bring those to a level of success that they are in now. Uh, People know nationally or internationally about women's football, soccer, and MMA. Women's football has been around for over 60 years, but it still runs via grassroots business models. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but when I say grassroots, by definition, grassroots is the most basic level of activity or organization. Typically, if you look at a women's football team or ownership, um, it's, it's ordinary people that are the basis of the movement or the basis of the advertising or basis of promotion for their team. Ultimately, they're trying to get people to know and buy the product, right? That's all of us. So a lot of people have heard of grassroots marketing, and that is the idea of promoting your business to a small group of people hoping that your message will spread to a larger group. That's typically how women's football works, per se, because many of the teams are a small group trying to let other people in their group know about it. They just don't have the means. They don't have the time. They don't have the commitment and energy to get the word out about women's football to 15 million people. Right. Or 20 million or a billion. So. They run their businesses on a grassroots model. So women's football uses both grassroots and guerrilla is what it's called. If you've ever heard of grassroots marketing or guerrilla marketing, I'm going to explain to you the differences between the two, but we use both models in women's football. Not everybody does. Everybody should be, but, um, or some percentage of grassroots marketing and guerrilla marketing. So let's talk about what the difference is between grassroots business marketing and guerrilla business marketing. So, grassroots marketing and guerrilla marketing are often confused with one another. Um, Some people try to interchange. Can you guys hear the? That's a train. Like I said, I'm at my downtown office. That's the train depot down the street. Uh, It's about three blocks away. Super awesome. I love it. Um, But anyway, Grassroots marketing and guerrilla marketing um, are often confused for the same thing, but they're not. Um, And again, this isn't something that people misunderstand and misuse. Grassroots marketing often relies upon many of the same techniques as guerrilla marketing, but it is different, okay? And I'll show you how it's different. The key difference Um, goes back to the audience and the intent. So grassroots business model or, or the way we're getting the word out about women's football in a grassroots manner, they target a very specific audience or niche or demographic, okay? In grassroots, you're targeting a very specific audience, niche, or demographic. Whereas guerrilla marketing or guerrilla business practices is designed to reach as many people as possible through viral or social sharing, even through um, different types of just sharing the word to an exponential amount of people. Right? So a lot of people say that they use guerrilla marketing in women's football. It's probably not a true statement because they're not rest. They're not reaching the masses, okay? But for women's football, we need to be doing both. So if you're not understanding the distinction between the two, you can get caught up in marketing your team incorrectly, and this can really hurt you. So for women's football, you need to use both grassroots marketing and guerrilla marketing. You would use grassroots processes and procedures and marketing to reach potential sponsors and players, right? To reach potential sponsors and players because like I said before, grassroots is to reach a specific targeted group of people. For sponsors, you're trying to find people that have money that can sponsor your football team. And for players, you're looking for specific female athletes between a certain age that have an interest or passion for women's football. Not that they just like to watch football, but they actually want to play it, okay? So that's where you get into grassroots approaches, specific, highly specific, targeted group of people, okay? Now, guerrilla tactics or guerrilla marketing, we would want to use in women's football to gain fans, ticket sales, merchandise sales, okay? Let's think about this. So if we're using grassroots to, to reach a targeted, highly specific group and guerrilla marketing to reach as many people as possible, Those are going to be the people that might not be interested in investing as a sponsor or as a player, but they'd like to become a fan or come out to a game or buy a t-shirt or some merchandise of some sort. So I consider women's football a grassroots industry, but we use grassroots and guerrilla tactics. So to explain this, Each team is using their own resources, right? There's minimal resources coming from the, the league and that's okay. There's no, there's no reason it should. Um, Some people have the view that the league should be paying for all advertising for all teams. And I just don't agree with that because it mathematically does not make sense, but um, there are teams that are trying to do that um, and I wish them the best of luck. But if you sit down and do the numbers, you'll realize it's it's not going to work that way. But anyway, I consider women's football a grassroots industry because we are trying to find targeted audience, women women that love to play football, people that love to watch women's football. People that love to watch NFL are not necessarily the same people that are watching women's football. And the people that play in the NFL or coaches of the NFL don't necessarily want to be part of women's football. So we are looking for a targeted set of people to become our fans. So when you go from the gorilla to the grassroots to the whole industry, overall, I feel that the industry is grassroots because we are still trying to find a targeted group of people that are interested in women's football but we are using guerrilla tactics and grassroots tactics. So, okay, so each team, like I was talking about before, each team is using their own resources to reach a targeted audience in their locale or location. There may be a few people on the fringe that are following the team, maybe some famous people, maybe some people that are endorsing things, um, endorsing the team, that kind of thing, uh, within your small target market. But your following is very slim, especially for women's football right now. The goal is to get more and more people knowing about women's football. But the the place where people mess up and the place where leagues mess up is trying to do too much at once. Because mathematically, you don't have enough energy to spend on cultivating those relationships and building relationships with targeted groups such as sponsors, such as merchandisers, such as radio people. Um, It looks really cool when you get somebody to endorse your team and it looks really cool when you get to be on television, but really how many new fans, new butts in the seat are you getting from being on that show, right? Make sense? Okay. So before I move on, i first want to congratulate and praise the men and women that have decided to be part of women's football, because it's not the easiest business endeavor to take on. And I commend you for your courage and confidence because it's a bold statement for somebody to take on a women's football team. Okay. Like I've said before, it's a lot of plates in the air, a lot of things going on. It's like owning seven different businesses. So it's not for the faint at heart. Believe me. Uh, so I commend all the people that are interested and willing and trying, willing to try being an owner of a women's football team. You have a great potential to be very, very successful, but it takes getting the knowledge and the foundational components in place in your team to do that. Okay. Now, the one the other thing that I want to talk about as far as a grassroots industry and women's football is being a small business owner and being an entrepreneur. I feel like most women's football team owners have an entrepreneurial um, characteristic or character um, trait. There's a lot of people that are just small business owners, right? And small business owners have, they typically have good ideas. They, they can, you know, create a business. A lot of times a small business owner will buy a franchise. that's already started or start a league that, you know, everybody's already started a league. So they start a league and it's the same, you know, it, it, there might be a couple components that they make a little different, but it's not an entrepreneurial venture. Okay. When you go into something and you have a new idea and you, um, are willing to take risk, jump in with both feet, not really knowing how this is going to go or what you're going to do. Um, it's, it's a very entrepreneurial characteristic. Um, typically, entrepreneurs um, are different from small business owners. So a small business owner, let's, let me see if I can say this right. An entrepreneur is a small business owner. Not all small business owners are entrepreneurs. So um, take that with, with, within and really think about it. All entrepreneurs are small business owners. Small business owners are not all entrepreneurs. Okay, So the idea is that in women's football, we are making the choices as the business owners, as the team owners about how to do things and and what to do. There's really no. There's kind of uh, parameters or or, or rules that you have to live by. You have to use a certain kind of ball. You have to play on a certain field. You have to have bathrooms, et cetera. Right. But other than that, there's not a huge amount of rules that you have to abide by. And I've been very, very happy with the women's football Alliance. I've been a proponent. Um, I've been on the WFA side for a long, long time. Um, back when the WNFA uh, merged with the WFA um, and all the teams came over to the WFA. Um, That was a long, long time ago, but um, I've always been passionate about the women's football Alliance and I feel that they are doing the right things. Um, They're doing it in an ethical professional manner. And um, how do I say this? I don't agree with every, um, I don't agree with everything every team does, but if they're within the rules, who am I to complain or judge? Right. Same thing with the league. A lot of times, people bring things up in these little forums and stuff, and they talk about how the WFA should do this, the WFA should do that, and they do this with no experience, no information no skin in the game, and it really irks me um, to see that people that have no knowledge um, and, and really don't know the or understand the underlying elements of things um, can give an opinion. I mean, I guess everybody can give an opinion, but it really discredits you um, when you're giving an opinion about something that you're not educated on. So that being said, women's football can be a huge success. I believe it can. I know it can. It's on its way to being a huge success, but it's all in the numbers. Okay, so let's talk about the numbers. In any business, there are a bunch of numbers. And I'm going to break this down a little bit um, for those that aren't like business savvy or, you know, a lot of people that come into women's football are not, um, you know, don't have a degree in business and you don't have to have a degree in business but I wanna bring you up to par on some of these concepts so that you can um, hit the ground running. So in any business, there are numbers and they're fixed costs and variable costs. Fixed costs are those that stay the same no matter how many products you produce. So for example, a fixed cost, the rent for a building that you work at, that's a fixed cost. It is a fixed amount of money whether your company makes two products or 4,000 products, right? The rent on the building that you work at is a fixed amount of money, whether your company hires two people or 15 people to work there, right? It's still $1,000 a month or whatever it is. An example of a variable cost is one that varies depending on decisions that are made. So for example... A variable cost may be the salaries of those two people they hired um, versus fifteen people being hired. Okay, so that's a variable cost. If they hire only two at thirty thousand, then that's sixty thousand. If they hire fifteen, then their costs go significantly higher. Um, but so they get to they get to choose whether they want to take on fifteen employees or two employees. Does that make sense? I hope so. So a fixed cost is going to be something that, change, that stays the same no matter what. Um, utilities are a little bit variable, but they are fixed costs because you're going to have them. If you open a building, you have to turn on the utilities. You have to have water. You have to have electric. But they, the prices are varying, right? If you have two people that are working in that um, office, the prices are gonna be relatively low. If you have 15 people working there and you're doing three shifts and it's open 24 hours, then your utilities are gonna be much, much higher. So that would be considered a a variable cost. Okay, so again, these concepts might seem very elementary to some, while others have never heard of these terms, um, because a lot of people that come into women's football have never um, gone through the business background. Um, They have a passion for football, they might even have a passion for, um, managerial things, but they've never actually run a business. So I want to make sure that we're clear on these things. So, you know, if you feel like this is, um, a waste of your time, just stick with me here and we'll get to some numbers, um, that I think you will find important. Um, but the reason I'm explaining this is because we do have a lot of people in women's football that, uh, business ownership is not their first, um, Career or <laughs> what they the first part of what they want to do every day, right? But in order to get owners working toward a common goal of success, it entails many of us understanding these business principles. So, again, a fixed cost can be for women's football a fixed cost can be a food truck that provides concessions at your football game, or here you go the rental of the stadium for your four home games. If it's $1,000 or if it's $1,500, you're gonna have that cost no matter what. So a variable cost may be the travel expenses for your team to an away game. The costs will be different whether you're traveling 50 players as opposed to 35 players, right? So these are kind of the numbers that I'm putting out here. So. The ideal situation in most basic terms is to make sure that both your fixed and variable costs are covered by your incoming revenue. However, it's important for a business owner to anticipate what those costs and expenses might be. I've provided a basic and an intermediate budget in previous newsletters, the Women's Football Success Newsletter, And I will go into that in more depth um, on budgeting um, in another issue. But I really want to just kind of get some numbers out there for you and explain why the numbers are so important. So the reason why the number of players is so important is because they are the basis for at least three of your income streams. Okay, we're not talking about player fees, just let's leave player fees to the side for a minute, okay? We're just talking about um, the three income streams, ticket sales, concession stand sales, and merchandise sales. So let's just envision um, game day operations, okay? So on game day, we're looking at ticket sales, concession stand sales, and merchandise sales. So like we talked about before, you are going to have to pay for your stadium, for your home games, whether you have 35 players or whether you have 50 players. However, 50 players brings in a potential 150 to 200 paying fans, while 35 players brings in 105 to 140 paying fans, okay? And this is just not a number that I made up, um, but the statistics that I have, um, gone through the numbers over the years that we've done women's football 50 players just the 50 players brings in approximately 150 to 200 paying fans while 35 players brings in about 105 to 140 at ten dollars for each adult ticket the scenario with 35 players puts you behind on stadium costs already by 500 to thousand dollars why is that because if you have 105 to 140 people paying, you're looking at $1,050 to $1,400 in paying fan money, right? So just with the basic calculation, if your stadium is about $1,500 and your refs are about $500, you have already paid for both with fans from 50 players, bringing in four paid fans to each game, right? So with 50 players, your stadium and your refs are paid for in this scenario. With 35 players, it's not. So with the 50 players, um, so if you have 50 players and they have four people come in, right? 50 players, four people come in, that's 200, or three people, that's 150. So you're in between 1,500 and 2,000 just with the players' fans, the people that the players went out and got. So any additional spectators that you as an owner, as a sports staff member, as coaches have brought in is potential profit for that game. You're already at the profit, okay? which is only a difference of 15 players. But it makes an exponential difference just on ticket sales. So we haven't even gotten to concession stand or merch, okay? We can use another calculation for concession stands. Because the stats show that typically 25 to 30% visit the concession stand while at a women's football game. So if you're out there on the Internet and you're typing in how many people visit the concession stand and you see at baseball games, it's this and basketball games, it's this and football it's this. You're using the wrong numbers because nobody is keeping track of the numbers in women's football. There might be a, a handful, maybe five teams that are keeping track of these numbers and it's specific to their Team okay, some teams do really, really good at going out there and getting people to their games, and so they have way more people before I get on to concessions. So, yeah, just to share with you, when we were the Lone Star Mustangs, by the second year, we were having 800 to a thousand people per game in our stands 800 to a thousand. We usually typically had between 50 and 55 players. By the second year. So each set of players that brought potential players, bought potential fans to the stadium that was already paying for our stadium. Those 600 to 800 extra people were potential profit. Okay. Now, of course, some of those may have been free tickets. Some of those might've been, um, raffled off on a radio show or we were at a pool pool hall and we gave them free tickets or whatever, but potentially 600, 800 extra fans in the stands to pay for stuff or to buy tickets anyway. So it is possible. And I've heard of some other teams. I'm not sure about the year before last, because we just got back into women's football, but there were some teams that were up to three and 4,000 Fans in the stands, and that's where you need to get to. Okay. With that being said, let's move on to the calculation for the concession stand. Let me check my time real quick. Where's my time? Okay, here we go. We're doing good. I just wanted to make sure I was doing good on my time. Okay. Um, let me get back here. Okay. So concessions. Okay. So I go back and forth with concession stands. I'll be honest with you, because you typically what either happens, it, there's a couple different scenarios. One scenario is, is, that the school that you host the game at, they take care of concession stands and they get the profit. Sometimes that is the best deal. Because depending on how many fans you're having in the stands, um, it can be a waste of money. And let me explain how that goes. Okay. The second scenario is you have a concession stand, you sell out your products and you make some money. The third one is people are doing um, food trucks and getting a percentage of the food trucks or just letting the food truck come out there and the food truck becomes a sponsor or something like that. Um, And then the fourth is not even opening a concession stand, not even worrying, worrying about it. And sometimes that might be the scenario, but Let me go over concession stand because the stats show that typically at a women's football game, 25 to 30%, 25 to 30% are visiting the concession stand. Therefore, if you have 50 players that bring in that 150 to 200 people, and we're not talking about extra people right now, at the low end with 150 people and 25% of them go to this concession, that's 37 people going to the concession stand. The average sale, does anybody know the average sale that happens at a women's football game? Because if you're looking it up and seeing what happens at a baseball game or soccer game or football, you're wrong. The average sale for a women's football game is four bucks. So typically people will go and buy two or go buy six or go buy eight or buy one, whatever, but the average is $4. So for 37 people to spend four bucks, it's $148. On the high end, if you have 200 people times the 30%, that's 60 people at the concession stand times four bucks, you're looking at 240 bucks. So in order to make 150 to 240, 148 to 240, right? Not a lot of money. You subtract out how much you paid for all that food, you're probably losing money because you probably bought too much food, right? You probably bought so many hot dogs and so many bags of chips and so many sodas that you're going to have enough for a while. So chances are in that scenario, um, you may or may not want to do a concession stand. Okay. It looks even worse for 35 players. If you have 35 players that bring in people, right? Our numbers were 105 to 140. So if you multiply that by on the low, the 25%, and on the high, the 30%, you're looking between 26 and 42 people coming to your concession stand. Multiply that by the $4 average, and you're looking at $104 to $168. Now having two or three people man the concession stand and buying the food and bringing it and getting all the paper and the plates, for those types of numbers, I would not even worry about a concession stand. Okay. Because after the 104 to 168, you subtract the cost of the food, you're probably losing money. Okay. But let me let's note here. So, even so, let's say that these numbers are right, and you were actually able to keep half of that was a profit, and half of it went to food, right? For subtracting what you bought for food. Let's say half of it went to food. Interestingly, with the concession stand numbers for the 35 players, you add that to um, ticket sales and you still haven't broken even on your stadium costs, right? And now we're headed into merchandise and you still have not paid for your stadium and referees yet. I'm hoping everybody can see where I'm getting at, that the 35 players versus the 50 players makes a big difference on profitability, Um And these are just a couple of your fixed and variable costs that go into women's football. But it's very important for you guys to understand that a lot of times too much effort is spent on things that aren't making money for the team. So 50, obviously 50 players is going to make you a profit under these scenarios, just from ticket sales and well, just from ticket sales to pay for the stadium and the referees. Now there's so many other things that go into their practice fields, Um, travel. We talked about that a little bit, Um, but I'm going to go through step-by-step on all these things. And then I'm going to make a big breakdown for the WFA teams to be able to see With 50 players, this is what it looks like. With 35 players, this is what it looks like. Um, And that way they can um, really evaluate where they want to be on that number uh, system. So just with the 50 players, the people that they bring in to the stadium for home games will pay for your stadiums and referees. Okay. Any additional above those four people that are coming in just to see them that they've invited any additional goes into potential profits so I hope this has been kind of an eye-opening situation because I talk to a lot of teams each week and a lot of them are really interested in staying around 35 they want to be at 30 35 players and first of all my question is We're only in December, getting ready to be in December. If you have 35 players now, then by April, I can almost bet, I would bet somebody money that you are not going to have 35 players in April. Um, I would bet that you're going to be in the mid-20s by April if you have 35 right now. I'd say probably about 28 to 26 players by April if you have 35 now. And that means you're starting out April way below your 35 um, roster size. Some people want to be below 35 because of the roster um, rules and stuff. Um, But what I tell people is that if you're wanting to be at 35, so if you are wanting to be at 35 in April, you need to be at 45 or 50 right in December because people are going to weed themselves out. We talked about this on earlier shows. But you're going to lose about 20 percent um, to injury, fatigue, work, family, inability to travel, all those different things. So um, you kind of need to stack the deck, per se, if that's those are the words you want to use. But you need to stack your team so that when you hit April, you have your 35. Now, most teams that I talk to are the more the merrier. Um And obviously, you know, they they deal with athleticism. They deal with people that are able to come to practice. People that are willing to do the workouts are able to understand um, the football terminology. So that all goes into it. But teams ideally should be at this point. I would be in this 65 to 75 range. Is ideal for most teams right now. Um, if you're not at the 65 to 75 range, have another tryout because 20 of the girls that you have on your roster are going to, for some reason, going to have to um, not play football. And it's not that they're bad or evil or, you know, you don't like them or whatever. It's because it, it's just the numbers. It's it's a fact that 20% of the players that try out don't actually end up playing that season. Um, I've had, in my experience, we've had some girls, that, um, we go all the way, we're at scrimmage, a girl, um, popped her ankle at the scrimmage, um, and was out the whole season and almost a quarter of the second season. So after a year and a half of being on a football team, she still had not played a down on the football field. So it happens guys. It really does. So, um, I think it's very important for you guys to understand the numbers. Uh, Next week, I'm going to go into some other numbers and I want to get back into some more player centered stuff because I know that the players really um, need the content, want the content, want information about how to be successful in women's football and how they can actually make um, a living as a football player. So I really appreciate you guys' time today. Um, It's Thanksgiving week. And I hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving holiday. Be safe, um, travel, see your family, because this is the calm before the storm. If you're in women's football, Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, sometimes Christmas is even a little crazy, but um, I hope you guys take time to visit with family and friends and you guys have a great week. I'll talk to you later. Um, If you want to go check out women's football success, I have it as part of my super small biz. Supersmallbiz.com And then you go into the menu. It says women's football. There's free resources there. There's different pages and stuff. I haven't been putting any of my content on there the last couple of days because I've just been so busy, but I'm going to get some of these, um, some of these documents out there so you guys can see them. I really appreciate your time. You guys have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.